I spent a quick two days in Abilene this week for the annual uh, ACU Summit, which is what they now call the old ACU Lectureship. And it was good to be there and see a few friends and to hear some good teaching. I have made that drive between Abilene and Dallas-Fort Worth many, many times. As a student who lived at the Metroplex and went to school in Abilene, as a preacher in Abilene who had family in the Metroplex, and then as a uh, preacher in the Metroplex who has many reasons to still visit Abilene. And having driven that uh, piece of interstate probably 500 times in my life, I can tell you it's still ugly. (laughs) It has always been ugly and it hasn't gotten any prettier. And yet I have had uh, some great trips and one profound spiritual moment on that ugly piece of road. Jamie and I had been married several years and had for some time been trying uh, to conceive. And there were problems. First, we started seeing doctors in Abilene. And then they said, you need to go see a special doctor in Dallas. And so that involved more of those long drives. And we were driving back to Abilene after one of those trips. And this time we were particularly discouraged. Jamie had had a surgery. And this doctor who was a specialist at helping women conceive just gave us the stark news that it was highly unlikely uh, that she would ever bear a child. He wanted us to uh, consider an operation that would put her in the hospital for a week and in bed for a month. It would cost $20,000, not insured, and it would give her a 40% chance of someday getting pregnant. And that's what we were having to think about on our drive back. Well, needless to say, we were discouraged and uh, not knowing how to enter into her pain especially, as a woman told that she would probably always be barren. I did not know what to do, and so I pretty much remained silent. And we're about an hour from Abilene, and one of those spectacular West Texas thunderstorms came over our heads, and I do mean spectacular and it was right on top of us. It was so uh, amazing. We literally pulled off the road. And not so much because we were afraid to drive as much as we couldn't miss the wonder of it. The lightning was coming down in sheets literally all around us. And it was so bright and so constant that even though it was night, you could have read. You could have stood outside and read. There was so much brightness in the air. And although probably we should have been fearful to be in the very middle of that, somehow it comforted us. As we thought about the fact that our God is doing this, and this is nothing to Him, and that nothing is impossible for Him, 
And so in the midst of that very strong storm, there came a stronger peace. And I can't tell you how many times I have reflected on that. And when I am in moments of discouragement or needing nourishment for my faith, I've, I've learned to just go outside, especially at night, and look at the sky. I'm keeping a tradition that was passed down to me by my father, Abraham. Look with me at Genesis 15. He was discouraged for some of the same reasons. Now after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, I think this is one of the most important texts in all of the Bible. And it hinges on two phrases that show up for the first time in the Bible. One is, do not be afraid. The single command given more than any other command in the Bible shows up for the first time in Genesis 15. And the other phrase that, believe it or not, has not shown up in the Bible yet is this one. He believed the Lord. And I believe it's critical to understand the connection between those two expressions. Don't be afraid. Believe the Lord. Now, God would not have told Abraham not to be afraid unless he was. He wouldn't tell Abraham not to fear for no reason. And I think there are several things that could have been prompting fear in the old patriarch. One, notice the first two words were after this. After what? After the war. He has just gone to war with his trained men. And he has attacked an army made up of four powerful kings. And he's got to be thinking, I caught them at night. I caught them off guard. What's going to be their response? He could have been worried about a counterattack. And so God promises to be his shield. It's the first time that word shows up in the Bible. The first time God has used that metaphor, and it's used many times in the Bible, where God promises, just like in the song we sang a moment ago, to be the shield about us. And and there would be no reason for Abram, To believe he wasn't still in danger except this. That God's protection isn't based on reason. It's based on his character. And then possibly he could have been afraid a little bit about how he's going to provide for this great number of people. Because remember, he got all this plunder and he gave it back. He told the king of Sodom, I don't want anything from you lest anyone say you made Abram rich. And he's already in a land that we found out could have famines. And he might have been thinking, did I do the right thing? And so God says, Abram, I am also your very great 
reward. God's not promising to be enough. He's promising to be more than enough. Because God assumes full responsibility for those lives fully committed to Him. And you'll never again read about Abram ever being worried about protection or ever being worried about provision. But God has still not spoken to the old man's greatest fear. And he finally says out loud what he's been thinking inside for a long time. Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? You see, Abram just hasn't moved to the land. He has been in the land now for a number of years. He left his home, his country, his family. And the main thing that drove him was a promise. You will be a father. And now he has lived in this land for a long time. And that promise hadn't come true. And I'm sure he has spent many sleepless nights wondering, did I misunderstand what God said? Maybe what God meant was, you will have an heir. Maybe I thought he meant son, but that's not what he meant. Maybe what he meant was, no, you will have an heir. Because after all, folks, a, a man can always get married. But he can't always have children. And Abram knows he's now reached the point in his life where his body and Sarah's body are reproductively dead. It's too late. God had to get his eyes off the problem and onto the promiser. And so God says, Abram, let's step outside. And it's not an invitation to a fight. It's a visual aid. He said, look up. Count the stars. And then God not only repeated the promise that you'll be a father, but this time he clarified it. He said, Abram, a son is going to come from your own body. I'm not talking about somebody who is like a son to you. I'm not talking about adopting a son. You are going to have a son from your own body. But now watch this. All God did to guarantee this incredible promise was have an old man look at the sky. Said, so see if you can count the stars. Because God's promises are not based on human reason either. They're based on his character. And the same God who filled the sky with the stars was asking a barren man if he could believe that God could also fill the earth with his offspring. And what follows is one of the most important moments in biblical history. This old man whose body is reproductively dead is outside with this incredible promise and no proof except stars. And the Bible says he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That verse is quoted three different times in the New Testament. It just might be the most important doctrinal verse in the Bible. 
Because it's the key to understanding the most important doctrinal question of all. And it's this question. Do I possess the righteousness that God's righteousness requires him to require? I know that's a complicated sentence, but live with it for a second. God's righteousness requires him to require righteousness. How on earth could I possess such righteousness? And every time the writers of the New Testament want to answer that question, they talk about Abraham. The Bible says he did two things. Watch this. Number one, he believed God. Now there's a mouthful there. He believed God. You see, the validity of faith is not so much the volume as the object. You can have great, great faith in the wrong medicine and you won't get well. No matter how great your faith is. You can have great, great faith in the wrong person and they won't make you happy. No matter how great your faith is. Um, many years ago, I went up to Oshkosh, Wisconsin and preached there. It was in February. And Oshkosh is right by this gorgeous lake called Lake Winnebago. And in the winter, the, the lake freezes over with several feet thick of ice. And these people up there, because years and winters up there has frozen their brains... They get on their cars on that lake and they, they gun the engine and they hit the brakes and the cars spin and fishtail across the ice. Now this is February and the ice is three feet thick and they wanted me to go out there for a ride and I wouldn't do it. Now I wouldn't do it because I was afraid of going through the ice. Here's the truth. I had very, 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 very little faith in very thick ice. And even though my faith was small, the fact is I would have been safe because the ice was thick. Do you know every year in March, somebody is out on that lake and the car goes through the ice. Because the ice has begun to melt. And they have great, 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 great faith in thin ice. And what happens when you have great faith in thin ice? You drown by faith is what happens. The Bible says he believed God. Reason said, no way. He said, yes, God. In fact, did you know your, your Hebrew word for believe is where we get the English word, amen. It means I say the same thing you just said when I'm preaching. And if you like something that I have just said and you say, Amen, you're saying, I say what he said. God said, a son's going to come out of your old dead body. Abram said, amen. See, it's not do you believe in God. It's do you believe God. And there's a huge difference. Churches are full of people that believe in God, but they don't believe God. 
See, they believe in God, but they don't tithe. The reason they don't tithe is because they don't believe God who says, you give me the 10% and I'll bless the 90 more than you could by keeping the 100. They don't believe that. So they go to church, but they keep their money. And, and they don't believe what God says about sexuality or about standards for your marriage. And so when they want somebody else, they go get their divorce because after all, God wants me to be happy. You see, they believe in God, but they don't believe God. Oh, they'd stop getting those divorces. I could go on and on and on here with examples. Jesus said, I'll be with you always when you go into all the world. You don't be afraid. The Spirit will put the words in your mouth when you speak for me. And we will live year after year after year with a neighbor or a co-worker that we haven't spoken to once to about Christ. But we'll go to church on Sunday because we believe in God. But we don't believe God. Or we would have spoken by now. You see, it does not say he believed in God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. It says he believed God. And there's such a big difference there. He said amen to two really important truths about his promiser. Number one was he said, I believe my God is a resurrecting God. Now we've got to go to the New Testament to understand more about what he really believed. We'll start in Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Go over to verse 18. What exactly did he believe? Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. God said a son's going to come out of your body. And Sarah's going to be the mother. And he went home and told her. Which I think is totally crazy. Because typically guys. When, when you're going to have a baby. Doesn't the wife tell you? Usually the husband doesn't go home and tell the wife. And please notice. It does not say that he went home and said. Sarah we're going to be parents. We better start jazzercise we got to start doing yoga. i got to start getting in shape so I can get my body in position. No, it wasn't about was their body fit enough. Their bodies were reproductively dead. But he believed God could bring life from death. That God's word was greater than barrenness. Now, this is the same conviction that's going to cause him to do something even more amazing later when the son is born. And God's going to say, put him on an altar. And the Bible's going to say in Hebrews 11, he would put that boy on the altar knowing that boy was the sole key to the promise. Because he reasoned, well, God can just raise him from the dead. He did it once. God's already proven his word is stronger than death. He believed God, that God is a resurrecting God. He believed also that God's a redeeming God. 
Galatians chapter 3. Consider Abraham. He believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Now understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now look down at verse 16. Interesting. The promise says were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. And the scripture doesn't say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Paul says something pretty amazing. Abraham was the first person to hear and believe the gospel. That somehow as God was laying out before Abraham the plan that he was calling him to be the father of, he understood God's going to do something that's going to touch the nations. God's going to do something to redeem the world. And he said yes to God's promise to bless the world through his seed. Now, how much of the gospel did he fully grasp? I don't know. I do know this, that the Jews one day were arguing stridently with Jesus. And Jesus said something that really ripped them. He said, you're not children of Abraham. If you were, you'd do what he did. You're children of the devil. They said, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, no, because your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. And just Jesus said that. Somehow, at some level, Abraham saw God's plan. And said, Amen. Abraham believed God. And he would structure the rest of his life around that belief. And because he did believe, he was granted a grace he could never deserve. Second thing, he believed God, number one. Number two, he received credit. Now, the Bible is not saying that nobody believed God before Abram. He is not the first to believe God. But for the first time, we learn the results of believing God. That when you believe God, it is credited to you as righteousness. That God accounted Abraham's faith as the channel for the acceptance or the reception of the gift of righteousness. Now, let's be real clear here. The Bible does not say you are saved because of your faith. God does not look at you and say, wow, look at that faith. That is awesome faith. I am so wowed by that faith. You're not saved because of your faith. You're saved by your faith. God does not accept faith in the place of righteousness. Instead, here's what God does. He gives you the same thing he gives Abraham. He gives you the message of a promised son. And when you say amen to that message, he takes that son's righteousness and he puts it on the credit side of your ledger and he erases the debit side with blood. And this is the only way that men can possess the righteousness that God's righteousness requires him to require.
So one more time at Romans chapter 4, we read these words. The words, it was credited to him, were not written for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's kind of interesting to me. Earlier, God had said to Abram, your seed will be like the dust of the earth. In chapter 15, he says, your seed will be like the stars of the sky. It's almost as if God was saying, Abram, you're going to be the father of, of two nations. You're going to be the father of an earthly nation, a racial nation. But you're going to be the father of a heavenly nation. And I believe that by trusting God, we have become the stars that he saw that night. And so let me just close by talking about how our faith can shine then. Two ways. Number one, I believe that placing trust, believing God, means saying no to the flesh. The whole point of Abram and Sarah's pregnancy is God does not save by the flesh. They couldn't trust the flesh. The flesh was dead. And every time the New Testament writers want to warn against confidence in the flesh, they remind you of Abraham. Let me be as blunt as I can be to all of you that think that it's you're getting your, all your doctrine right and getting all your behavior right and getting all the signs on your church buildings right. And this is what's going to get you to heaven. You got as good a chance of getting to heaven that way as a hundred-year-old couple does getting pregnant. That's what the Bible is saying. Anybody here play fantasy football? Boy, this church needs to repent. If you play fantasy football, you know on draft night, there are certain players that are going to be number one picks. You're going to draft Adrian Peterson. You're going to draft Drew Brees. You're going to draft Tom Brady. They're going to the first round. Well, if you played fantasy uh, football in the first century, your number one draft pick was Paul. I want to read to you what he said about his credentials. If anyone else thinks he's got reason to put confidence in the flesh... I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. Now, this is what he thinks about the flesh. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. 
The only currency we have to offer God is trust. And that way, you see, God gets all the credit. And so that's what it means to place trust means to say no to the flesh. But I've got to warn you, it means saying yes to the weight. And by saying amen, Abraham was embracing delay. Because when he said, God, amen, you can do what you said. It's pretty clear God could have already done it and he hadn't yet. Here's the struggle of faith. For Jamie and I, it was on a car back to Abilene finding out we couldn't have babies. That's where some of you might be. Or for some of you, it's loss of a job. Or for some of you, it's that dark spot they found on the x-ray. Here's the struggle. It's to hope against barrenness. While still living with it. And waiting is difficult. But all Abram had to do. To renew his trust. Was step outside. God does not ask for blind faith. And that is why God gives us signs. He gives us rainbows and lilies that do not spoil, toil or spin. He gives us birds. He gives us bread and wine. And he gives us stars. I love the story of the uh, atheist back during the days of the French Revolution. That said to the farmer, we're going to destroy every vestige of Christianity. We're going to tear down all the cathedrals. We're going to pull down all the crosses. We're going to burn all the Bibles. There is not going to be one single reminder of God left. And the farmer chuckled. He pointed up to the stars and he said, and how do you plan to get them down? In a barren world, God has made these incredible, resurrecting, redeeming promises. And says, I stand by them based on my character as God. Does anybody say, Amen. Well, tonight, we're going to sing a great, great hymn to remind ourselves of where our hope is. And I want to encourage you, if you have never confessed Christ, there's only one way to have the righteousness that God's righteousness requires Him to require. That is to have your debits erased by blood and His righteousness credited to you. Come tonight, confess Him, and be baptized while we stand up and sing a great hymn of faith.